Must be Jesus, that's right, Doug. <laughs> Becky was showing me some pictures of that thing they did yesterday. What was the name of it? The Sojourn Women's Tea? Yeah, Tea and Testament. I said, that is women's heaven. <laughs> Man's heaven would have been like picnic tables and paper plates, steak, barbecue, <laughs> some bread. <laughs> yeah. Guns. Boy, yeah, getting really down to the man thing now, right? Guns. Of course, y'all know Heather, our daughter-in-law, was killed two deers, you know, this year and hunt this hunting season, and her husband didn't kill any. <laughs> so that yeah, was kind of rough on rough on her husband and on her uh, brother-in-law Philip, who didn't shoot any. So Lord help them, right? <laughs> it's kind of rough being a guy in your. The females beat you at your game. <laughs> All righty. The Lord's good. Okay, so I wanted to read uh, John 20. You know what they, t- they tell you about preachers? They say in the first couple minutes is your only chance to get people. Okay, you're either going to win them then or you're going to lose them in the first two minutes. I can't figure out how to do that. I'm trying to do all the things they tell you to do to be a good preacher, but I can't seem to make none of it work, so... You know, mercy, Lord, right? That's what I'm depending on. This is John 20, verse 30 through 31. Let me tell you what this is. This is amazing. This is the purpose statement for the gospel of John. The purpose statement for the gospel of John. This is what he said. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Isn't that amazing? The purpose statement. Now, when you think about it, I mean, I don't know anything about purpose statements really, but I do know this. Most pur- purpose statements come at the beginning, not the end. Right? In other words, if, if you, when you write a paper in school, you have to give a purpose for, for what you're doing, what you're trying to accomplish. And then you try to tell, tell it. And then at the end, you kind of review what you told. That's sort of the, the trick. But John put his purpose at the end. And I believe he did it on purpose. And I believe the reason he did it is this. John wanted us to experience the Lord. Okay? He was, it, was, it was an invitation for us to enter into the story. Okay? And let the story speak to you. I think I may have talked to you a little bit about this uh, uh, in reading the Bible. Um, the Bible wants to speak to you. God wants to speak to you through the Bible. The problem is we've already have our minds made up about the Bible. I don't know if you remember correct a couple of weeks ago when I talked to you about first impressions. And one of the things they said is famous people don't have the, oppor- the, the option of have, making a first impression because... Everybody has a first impression of them. And, and that's really one of the issues that we have with God, with Christ, with the Holy Spirit, with the Father, and with the Bible. We already have our impression. We, everybody in this room, if you've read the Gospel of John, you already have an impression of it. Okay? And see, the key, that what God wants to do, I believe, in many people's lives, maybe I'm the only one in the room, but God wants to dash my impressions. God wants to give me a whole different impression of Himself. Okay? And he wants to give me a whole different impression of what the Bible really says. In other words, when these guys wrote this story, 
about Jesus, the gospel writers, it really, they wanted you to, to, to join them in the story. They wanted you to be impacted by the things that they were impacted by. Okay? Instead of being impacted by what someone told you or some ideal you came up or some book you read about it. I'm just doing away my whole message right then. I have just, just discarded it because everything I'm going to tell you from now, I'm exactly trying to do that. But really what I'm trying to do is my purpose is I want one, is I want to ignite in us a hunger to know the Lord in a new way. Okay, like we haven't known Him. Because that's very much a key thing that God's doing in the earth today is He is revealing Himself in new ways to people. Uh, one of the great examples of this is found in, in Joshua chapter 5. You know, um, you know, everybody crossover, that's a great word, but a lot of people struggle with that, okay, because a lot of things happen in your life when you cross into the promised land. Everything's not automatic, okay? One of the things before they even went into the promised land, the Lord warned them over and over, I'm not giving it all to you at one time. Because if I did, the beast, the beast that are in there would overcome you. You couldn't handle it. In other words, I'm going to get you to a place where you can handle it. And the more you can handle, the more you'll have. Y'all get that? And so every one of us, what happens to a lot of people, they have these expectations about things. And when those things don't happen... There's a crushing that goes on in their heart, and like, well, this is not real, or you, you get in unbelief, or you get disappointed with God, and really, it's what it's the the, the ways of God, and uh, that was a pretty powerful thing. Another thing, you know, jo- Joshua five has uh, is a pretty amazing chapter. It starts out with circumcision, like everybody just loves that subject, <laughs> but that happened in the Promised Land, and those guys were laying around for two or three days hurting. Like, don't touch me, don't get around me. I don't even want to think about anything right now. I mean, oh, I just really don't want to go to the bathroom. <laughs> that was how bad they were hurting. You know, this is in the promised land. And then the, the thing, though, is Joshua went out, and it says in Joshua 5, he saw a man. And he went to that man. And evidently this man looked like somebody he was going to have to deal with. And Joshua said, are you for us or against us? Now I want to get this. Joshua had spent so much time in the presence of the Lord up to that point probably more than anybody in history. Probably more than Enoch even. He would stay in the presence of the Lord when the Lord would come down on the tent of meetings. And you know, the, when the, the Lord revealed himself, it says that Moses would go in there and him and Joshua. And then Moses would leave, Joshua would just stay there. That's, that's what really equipped him to really do what God had called him to do later in, 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 in later years is because he had spent so much time in God's presence. But when the Lord showed up, he didn't recognize him. Okay? Just like in the New Testament, many times the Lord shows up in ways, you know, the classic example is Mary. She's supposing him to be the gardener after he was resurrected. Here's Mary, somebody that close to him. She's supposing him to be the gardener because he was revealing himself in a different way. I mean, that really, there's a lot to that. The garden, I mean, that's what he was trying to do is, listen, we're back to the garden. That was what the resurrection was all about. But, you know, but... And then, of course, you know, the guys on the road to Emmaus had no clue who he was. 
And so, so many times when we come into a new time, God wants to reveal himself in new ways to us. And he wants to, to show us parts of himself that we've not seen yet. And it's really important for us to be able to really see him as he wants us to see him and receive him as he comes. And, and so that's really the, been the focus, you know, of, of my life in the past few months is really, Lord, I, wanna, I want you to sh- come to me and reveal yourself to me as, as you are, as you want me to see you, not the way I think you are and the, not the way I've even known you in the past. And so God, God's doing that now with a lot of people, I believe. He's, he's coming and He's revealing it. Are you good? Y'all just sitting here looking at me with these looks on your face. Like, oh, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> you know, one of the things that it's really uh, hard to do but ne- necessary if you're going to really be prospered in the Lord is you have to live in a tension um, of what God did in your life Okay, and not allow that to be a prison to you. Okay, because it can become a prison to people. But there's also this other part of things that God will do, and so that can become a prison to you also, uh, especially in like revival cultures in America. I mean, I've been living in my Christian life for almost 40 years and it's always been in a revival like God's going to move God's going to move God's going to do this God's going to do that and here's the problem with all that you can miss what he's doing right now you can miss the moment living in some hope that God's going to do some spectacular thing in your life and when God's saying what about right now you see really at the end of the day it really is a religious spirit a religious spirit allows what God will do in the past and it allows what God will do in the future, but it never allows God to do anything in the moment. And see, some of the greatest revivalists had that spirit working on them because they lived, they lived in some, wanting something to happen so bad that they were missing the God in the moment. And I'm all into God move, you know, come, you know, Holy Ghost pour out fresh. I, I believe that's really essential. You know, I'm not putting that down. Trust me, I want that. I'm asking the Lord for it. But I'm also asking the Lord, Lord, I, I need to live in the moment. I need to live with you right now. What are you doing now? It's like what Jen mentioned is, it really is the truth. Our dream is not to know what God's doing, not to come in and have a plan. This is what God's going to do. And he wants to do something different. We, we want to be able to respond to that. But that's not, that's not easy to live that, I'll tell you that. It's not easy to, to live it on a personal level. It's not easy to do, you know, do ministry that way. It takes death. It, there's a lot of death that will be worked in your heart over it because you're constantly having to let go of what God did and your, and your expectation of what He's supposed to be doing. And I think that's really where God has got a lot of the church now and a lot of Christians is He's really asking us, can we receive Him the way He wants to come? And it may not be the way it was. But he's asking us, will we receive him that way? And so that's really why, you know, I've been really looking at the Gospel of John a whole lot. Actually, all the Gospels. Because each of the Gospels give us a different picture of Jesus. They give us the picture of Jesus 
that those men who wrote those Gospels by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they give us the picture of Jesus that they saw. They give us the Jesus that they knew and the Jesus that they encountered. And what they're all trying to do is tell you, this is the Lord Jesus that I knew, and these are the things that so impact me about his life. And they're all a little different. They all had different impacts. And that's why I believe John placed this purpose at the end. He wanted you to go through this story. He didn't want you to read it mindlessly. He wanted you to join him in the story and walk the story with him. And if you'll begin to do that, especially with the Gospels, you'll begin to see a different book because you are in the book. You're in it, and you're living it the way they lived it. And the Bible reading suddenly won't become some mechanical dumb thing some quote spiritual discipline. It's not has is nothing about spiritual. It's about this mindset that we have that we think something's going to happen. Reading words, that some magical thing is going to happen in our life. And then a lot of people don't read their Bibles. A lot of Christians. I, I would love to ask you that question. How many read the Bible on a regular, everyday basis? And probably a lot of you would say the truth is I don't. And you're awesome Christians. You're awesome people. You love the Lord. You want it. But it's because you and your life have chosen not to allow that story to tell you what that story wants. You're, you're reading something into it. Maybe, maybe you're not. I found, out, I found out a lot about myself. When the Bible becomes an issue for me, I realize, wait a minute. I'm not letting the Bible talk to me. I'm talking to it. I'm telling it what it means instead of letting the Holy Spirit tell me what it means. And when you switch and begin to allow the Holy Spirit to talk to you, you'll want to read it because you'll be enjoying some things. God, I'm just really messing up my message though. I'm really ruining this thing here. But let me just give you some thoughts that may help you with the Gospel of John. Can I do that? But you had to take these thoughts and, you know, decide if they're true or not. They're true for me. Okay? So, I I got a few here. Number one, this is amazing to me. It's a story of supernatural signs. Okay? It's a story of, and that's what John said. He did many more signs than are written in here. And when we hand the gospel of John to a new believer, which that's something we always want to do because we know it reveals the heart of the Lord, what we're really handing them is something like, this is all about the supernatural. There's supernatural things in this, in this story that we want you to know about. Whether you think that or not, we usually think John 3.16, you know, that's the, the, the height of it. But really, that's one verse in there. There's many signs and there's many supernatural things in there. That, that, and these are the things that impact John. He was impacted by Jesus turning water into wine. He was impacted by Jesus healing the nobleman. So he was impacted by Lazarus being a, Those things had a major impact on his life. And he wanted us to know, this touched me when I saw him do that. This, this spoke to my heart. I want you to know about it so it will speak to your heart. So it's really, and he said the signs are so that we would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing we would have life. We would have life. So it's, it's, it's really important that we catch all the supernatural signs in there. And there are seven major signs in the book, actually eight, if you count the resurrection, which was like probably outside the realm of normal signs. 
All right, the second thing is also a, this is really interesting here. It's a story about his glory. The first, listen to this. The first 12 chapters of the Gospel of John talks all about signs, 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 signs. Okay? And then in chapter 13, there's a shift, a real subtle shift. It's, the shift is this, about his glory. And really see what the first part of the book does, the first 12 chapters, the first 12 chapters sets you up with signs. But all the signs are pointing to something. That's what a sign is. A sign is trying to reveal something that's not apparent. And if you go study each one of those signs that he did, okay, they're all pointing towards something. In other words, those signs are not a means to, a means to an end. They, or they are a means to an end. They're not an end in themselves. They're, they're directing you somewhere. They're pointing you somewhere, just like a road sign. They're trying to get you somewhere. And lots of times in Christianity, we sort of park at the signs, not knowing the sign. The, the sign's not it. Oh, what a beautiful sign. We got an awesome sign here. You know, uh, it just says Charlotte, 30 miles. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of times spiritually, that's what we do. We make the signs the thing. When the signs are really trying to get us somewhere. I wanted to tell you this about John. I think I've shared this before. John 13 through 17 is amazing. Listen to this. It is the last 24 hours of Jesus' life in those few chapters. The last 24 hours of his life are packed in to the it's been called the holy of holies of the bible because it's the last things that he was doing the last things that he was saying and knowing that within a day he would be dead him knowing that him now when you think that way all of a sudden those chapters like I got to get in there I got to find out what this what's going on here I mean, to me, when I really begin to see that, like, I, this is amazing. This is some of the most amazing section of Scripture there is. I think. All right, here's some other things. Are you all okay? Here's some other things. Key words, and this is, this is pretty interesting. Love appears 57 times. And John was known as the apostle whom Jesus loved. 57 times he used that word love. Uh, light appears 30 times. Light's a big deal to John. You know, because God is light. God is love. God is light. He was really big on those. The light of the world. He's also big on truth because it appeared 22 times. Spirit of truth is a big deal. John really went after the spirit of truth. But the biggest, the most used word in that is, is a belief. It's 98 times. That was, that was his whole thing. He's like, I got to get you to believe. If you can believe, you can have love. You can have light. You can have life. You can have all these things. It's pretty powerful, really. This is another interesting thing about it. John talks about sin more than Matthew and Mark put together. Isn't that amazing? That kind of blows your mind. You know, today there's an argument in the church. There's the, the sin camp, like you've got to focus on sin. You've you got to get people to repent. And then there's this other grace camp that says, no, don't be sin conscious. Well, I tend not to be sin conscious. I'm... In, Somebody said, Byron, I hate to tell you this, but you know that thing, that term they have? What's, what's that term? Hypergrace? Yeah, I hate to tell you, Byron, you're hypergrace. 
because they read all these books. I'm like, really? But I'll tell you what. If I'm hyper grace, it's a good thing because hyper grace is not bad because I really believe in living a holy life and being free from sin and not allowing sin to rule in my life. And when I do something wrong, it's telling, having the truth about it and telling the truth. If that's hyper grace, everybody should be that way, I think. You know, I don't think grace is a license to sin and I don't think it gives you any excuses to live a reckless life. But I also think this. I'm not going to sit around thinking about my sin all the time. I'm thinking about the cross and thinking about what Christ did for me and His delivering power. See, I think that's... If that's hyper-grace, if that's the truth about hyper-grace, then we... Yeah. But it is true that John talked about this, but he always talked about it in terms of that, you, that sin's been overcome. You know, we can live above this. We can live above this. And see, that was important for him to let people know that you know that you can live above sin. You don't have to be drugged down into sin. There's we have a way out, and we have power out of sin. Somebody wrote this the other day. They were glad that God crucified sin on the cross. I'm thinking, but He didn't. <laughs> he didn't crucify. I used to think that as a young Christian, like why can't I overcome this sin if Jesus crucified? And then I realized, oh, He didn't crucify sin on the cross. Sin is still operational in the world, right? He crucified the sinner. Y'all got that? That's who in Christ we were crucified in sin. And sin's still in operation. Right? right? Sin has not been crucified. It does not say that in the Bible. It says we've been crucified with Christ. We're dead to sin. But it didn't say sin's dead. Sin's still been activated. It's still, still alive. All righty. Y'all Okay. So I've done my message on sin, which one time this person wrote 40 things bad about me and gave me a list. Here's 40 things I don't like about you, Byron. You never talk about sin. So I'm here to tell that person who's no longer here, I did. <laughs> 30, yeah. Somebody, they, one, I won't tell you what it was. They, why do I have to see you doing the such and such? I said, you know how, why, here's, all you got to do is turn your head. Don't look at me. If you don't like that, just turn your head. You know, I mean, it was kind of something, some of it was kind of ridiculous. And I told them all of them it was ridiculous, ridiculous. Oh, yeah, you're right. I need to fix that one. No, I need to fix that one. Okay. The Gospel of John reveals that Jesus is God. Okay, I hope everybody knows that, but I didn't know that for a while as a young believer. You know how I found out about it? I saw a bumper sticker on a car. I was driving down the road, and it said, because Jesus is God, he lives. I said, I didn't know Jesus was God. (laughs) I don't know why I didn't know it, but I was a Christian then. But that's why I read the the bumper sticker. Then I started reading the Bible, and I he is God. Jesus Christ is God. He's not some... A lot of people think, occults believe that Jesus was this created being that somehow attained to God. God had, you know, became God because of certain things he did. But no, God, Jesus is uncreated. He is God. Amen. Jesus is God. And here, when the Hebrew, the word son of God, if they were to hear son of God, a Hebrew thinker, to them, this is what that said to them. That person is God. 
If they said Philip is the son of Byron, they would say Philip's Byron. That's how they would see that. That's how a Hebrew thinks. See, we don't think that way. And that's why when Jesus declared himself to be the son of God, it created havoc around him. It created a mess around him. Because he was declaring, I'm God. That's what he was saying. When he said, I'm the son of God, he was saying, I'm God. That's, that's a pretty amazing, amazing fact. I wanted to read John 14, 7. Um, this is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, and the whole universe. Jesus, what Jesus said, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. In other words, Jesus was saying, I'm the, I and the Father are one. If you see me, you see the Father. That's why the Gospels are so, such a beautiful scriptures, is because they reveal the Father. Whatever we see in Jesus, that's what the Father is like. That's what he came. He came to demonstrate, this is what my Father in Heaven's like. This is who he is. This is what he does. This is how he talks. This is how he treats people. I mean, that's just amazing. I wanted to read John eight nineteen. This is This is from the Message Bible which I think is awesome. Jesus was being harassed by Pharisees, you know, and Sadducees people, you know, kind of giving him a hard time. They said, where is this so-called father of yours? And Jesus said, you're looking at me and don't see me. Isn't that cool? You're looking at me and you don't see me. How do you expect to see the father? How do you expect to see that? In other words, Jesus was saying, the only way we were going to ever see the father is we had to see Christ. If you'll see me, you'll see the Father. If you knew me, you would at the same time know the Father. That's what Jesus said. If you would know me at the same time, you would know the Father. People need to know that. The, you know, when I like to go visit churches, I like to look at their material and see what they say about the Trinity. Do, do they talk about the Holy Spirit? Do they talk about Jesus? And do they talk about the Father? You know what? Most churches really do mention the Holy Spirit. And they mention Christ. But not many, a lot of churches have nothing much about the Father written down, which I find to be such a, a, a lacking revelation in the body of Christ. It's because everybody needs to know the Father. And that's because, because Jesus came to reveal the Father. And it's just one of the most powerful revelations you'll ever receive if you can receive the Father. If you can receive seeing the Father, it will change your life. And it'll make you into a different person. That was, I could say, apart from salvation itself, that is the greatest revelation God has ever given me. And I cherish that revelation more than anything. I mean, I cherish it as life itself because it has done one, it has changed everything about me. It's went to the core of me and loosed me from so many things. Having a revelation of God as my loving Father and I am His Son that He loves, He accepts I spent much of my Christian life looking through a window, wishing I could get in. Wishing I could get in to where everybody else was at, where I could be loved and accepted and be a part like everybody else. I already was. The problem was I was, but I didn't know it in my heart. But when the father came, it's, I was like the, the uh, parable of the prodigal son, the older brother. He was with the Father. He was living in the Father's house. But the thing he said was, you never did this for me. You never did this. You never threw a party for me. And I have worked and strived all these years, all these years, just so you would love me and care for me and do things for me. That was his heart. And you've done it for this brother who is a worthless waste. 
And that was me. I didn't really, I was just ate up with, I want in, I want in, I want in. And everybody in the world is ate up with that. And when the father came, he said, Byron, you're always with me. That's what that father said. You've always been with me. That's what he said to that young man. We call the other, you've always been with me. Everything that I have is yours. But not many people believe that. And when you begin to believe that you're with the Father in His house and everything that He has, you have access to. Everything. Let me tell you something. When my grandkids come to my house, they know they can get anything they want. They don't ask. They just start getting it. Now, if they go messing around with a, you, you know, the plug-in on the wall, you make them stop. They can have access to that electricity, but they need my hand on it. One day they'll be able to plug in and unplug when they're big enough to handle it. We grow into these things. But we have to begin somewhere knowing, well, I can go in the pantry. (laughs) My grandson Luke, that's the first thing he walks in the house, he looks at you, looks around, walks in the pantry, climbs up and starts looking for something that he wants. (laughs) And that's how the Father wants us to be with him, to go into his pantry. Are you all Okay. All right, I'm going to be doing this. I've got to be getting done here. I'm sorry. Um, the sixth thing, oh, this is awesome. This is one of the, the greatest things that the Gospel of John will teach you is how to see the invisible, how to see into the spirit realm. It's, that's what it's all about, is really to teach you to see something that you can't see. And, and that was what was amazed me is because I've had so, you know, if, if you get around certain people and they find out you have visions and they have a, you have dreams and you feel things, you smell things, you have these spiritual experiences, that automatically they want to know, how do you do that? They want to know, give me the list of things you need to do. And I actually have a list of things, to tell you the truth. But here's the first one on the list is, uh, let me read John fourteen twenty one. He who has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him, listen to this, and manifest myself to him. This is what Jesus was saying. He was saying a loveless world is a sightless world. A loveless world was a sightless world. In other words, Jesus was saying the thing that's going to enable your the eyes of your heart to have light on them where you can really begin to see beyond what everybody else is seeing is love. If you don't have love, that stuff just doesn't really work. In fact, it's going to get really weird, you know, faster than you really want it to. Have you ever, y'all know what I'm talking about? Uh, people who, who have spiritual encounters and you talk to them, it's like, ah. I don't really want to talk to them about this because it don't feel right. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Uh-huh. There's a weirdness. Well, here's what it is. Some, some of it's immaturity, okay? When a person begins to have those kinds of things in their life, you know, you can say some really stupid stuff. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm guilty as the day of long as about that. Because when it really first began to start happening in my life, I was literally like a kid in a candy store. I was just as happy and I was thrilled with my spiritual life all of a sudden. You know, and I was just so, and I was just running my mouth about stuff I had no clue about, really, to tell you the truth. I mean, I just was telling stuff that I should have probably just kept my mouth shut about it. 
so God could teach me his perspective on it. And, uh, but, you know, but there's this other, that's the immature class. I'm hoping that was my biggest mistake. The other class is people get into weirdness with this stuff. Okay? And, and the reason they get into weirdness, I believe, is they leave something behind. They leave this person behind. You know? Because if, if it's not taking us back to him, then we, why do you, do, you don't want to do it? Y'all, y'all understand that? I mean, this is pretty interesting, but there's this, uh, they call it an epic Harvard study about happiness. Anybody know about this study? It was a 75-year study. You should read it. You would be shocked. It's called the Harvard Grant Study. Okay, they studied these people for 75 years. That's amazing. But you know what their conclusion was? Here was the ultimate bottom line for studying these guys for 70, 200-something people, 200-something men, and they were all originally students, I think in the 30s, okay? And they talked about lots of things, but this is what the conclusion of it is this. Love is really all that matters for humans to be happy. Isn't that a... I mean, they spent 75 years to come to that conclusion... And that's what the Bible really, that's what John really tries to tell us. This is, this is what's going to make you happy. The only thing that's going to really make you happy. All these other things are not going to make you happy. And this is what these brilliant people who study people, I think it's really awesome. Go and look up that study. You, you find some things now you wish you wouldn't, if you're, especially if you're a conservative guy. It seems like liberal guys have more fun than conservative guys. Anyways, I'm going to read uh, John 8:23 to you. This is what G- this is from the message Bible. I love this. You're tied to the mundane. Now, that's, Jesus could be talking to all of us at times. You're just tied to the mundane. I'm in touch with what's beyond your horizons. You live in terms of what you see and touch. I'm living on other terms. I told you that you were missing God in all this. You're at a dead end. And see, that's what happens in our life. is when we are just in touch with what's seen and heard and felt here, we've missed the whole thing. We really do wind up at a dead end spiritually. And see, that's really what I'm saying. Gospel of John trying to get us to to engage. That's what, see, this is the things that impacted John. These are the things that really touched his heart. You know, and the things that he wants us. You see, when we talk about seeing the invisible, it's not some weird side doctrine. It's a part of the gospel message. It's a part of what God's called us to do and be. Yet we've had layers of lies and religion on us about this stuff. Well, let me read this one, two more verses. Are you Okay. Well, that sounded really encouraging, but anyways. <laughs> Christ, number seven, Christ is the focus of seeing spiritually. Well, that's the duh, but I think we need to really say that. I wanted to read John 1, 43 through 51 that we've read so many times in the past. I, I haven't read it in a long time, so. Uh, it says, the following day, Jesus wanted to, wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. That was just sort of on the way. Now, Philip was from Bethesda in the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, Hey, we found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. It is so good. 
And Nathaniel said to him, Can anything come out of good come out of Nazareth? You know, Nazareth was a bad place in the in that day. It was like a slum. It was like a, just a terror. Now it's opposite from what I understand. Nazareth was an awesome city in Israel. But back in those days, it was a crummy place. Nobody, whoever, you know, don't know you. If you came from Nazareth, you're bad. You know? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Isn't that beautiful? I saw you. I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You're God. You're God. You're the king of Israel. Isn't that amazing? Just that one little encounter with supernatural, with a God who saw something and spoke something. That's, that's why we should love the prophetic when we really see the real prophetic come forth. How it can just touch a man's life and touch a child's life, a woman's life. And that's really the goal of, of it. To cause them to just do this. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. You see, John's telling us, this is what the gospel is going to tell us. His story is going to, there's going to be greater things than this, just than this prophetic word, than him seeing a person. There's going to be much greater things. And he said to him, most assuredly I say to you hereafter, you will see heaven open. Now this is amazing. You're going to see heaven open. How many people like to see heaven open? The truth is, heaven is open. Heaven's open. We just need the Lord to open our eyes Give us light to see that heaven is open. It was open, the Bible says, when Jesus died. It says there's this veil that was symbolic of his flesh. It tells us that in Hebrews. It says that the veil was torn open. And that meant that heaven was torn open. It will never be put back together. It's part of the salvation message, uh, open to heaven. It's part of the gospel. But we have relegated it to something just like some side revelation. Well, I'll tell you, it's not side. Without that, there would be no gospel. The gospel opened heaven. And it didn't, and it's never going to be closed. It will never be closed. It may be, if it's closed in your life, guess where it's closed at? It's closed in your mind. See, heaven's open. Our mind is what's closed. Because our mind's the door into heaven. And when we change, that's why Jesus said, change the way you're thinking. Because heaven's right here. That's why he was saying because he was carrying around open heaven with him at that moment. But once he died, he gave it to everybody. And as we begin to think differently, we can begin to engage heaven and connect with heaven. It's really the truth. I'm telling you all the truth. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, you shall see heaven and the angels of God ascending and descended upon the Son of Man. And he was alluding to what... Back in Genesis when Jacob, Jacob's ladder, surely this is the gate of heaven. God was in this place and I didn't even know it. Is that not the, is that not the experience many times with us? God is here, but I didn't know it. I didn't know it. God, help us to see. Help us to see that you're here. But if we're stuck, which is what we can see and hear with our natural senses, we're not going to, we're not going to get it. Are y'all okay? Y'all are looking at me with some mean looks. 
Can I just finish this right quick? I wanted to read this one scripture, and I'm not really, listen, I want, let me just say this, okay? And I only want to make this really clear, just in case it's not, but maybe I'm just making it clear for me. Just, but this is what I feel in my life, okay? I, here's, this is what my motto is. I will go on the dreams, visions, and revelation of the Lord. I mean, that's, that's a personal motto of mine because it's, that's Rome, uh, say it, Corinthians 12. That's what Paul said. I read it one day and thought, well, if he can, I can. I mean, that might be stupid thinking, but I, it's your work for me. And I think we all need to be that way. But I think, I think this, I think we have to not be weird Okay, I want us to get rid of weirdness. Because weirdness doesn't attract people to Jesus. Okay? And I, I want to get rid of all the weirdness. Okay? I want to get rid of the weirdness in my life. If God's being weird, He can do it on His own. He don't need me to make Him weird. <laughs> you know, John Wimber had a little saying. He was a great man, a great supernatural man. He said, natural, supernatural. Now, be naturally supernatural. Just be that, be, be, and let this thing flow out of your life. And I'm really saying this because I believe there's going to be a lot of supernatural released. I really do. I believe there's going to be a lot of open visions and, you know, I really do. But I think we have to always make sure the Lord himself is, is the exalted one, not our visions and not our dreams, not our revelations, not our understanding, not our theology, not our doctrines, that the Lord Himself. I wanted to read this one last scripture that I love. Are y'all all right? Yeah. It's Colossians 1, 15 through 20. It says, He is the Im- image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Listen to this. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth visible and invisible by Him. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. In other words, He created all this stuff. You don't have to worry about the devil because we know who created the devil and He can fix the devil if the devil gets crosses the line with you. And this is verse 17. He is before all things. He's before all things. And in Him all things consist. You see, that has to be our heart. In Him, all things consist. In Him, is every vision exists. In Him, every encounter with the heavens, every encounter with angels, every encounter, every, every, whatever it is that you have, in Him, it exists. In Him, it, He's the head of it. He's the creator of it. And He must be kept at the center of it. You know, people say, well, everybody knows that, but we can never say this enough. We could never declare this enough that Christ is preeminent in all things. And we have to continue to tell ourselves that. And that keeps us out of weirdness. And when we're immature, it makes us realize I'm, in, I'm acting immature. No wonder people are aggravated with me. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He may have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him, in Him, all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself, 
by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Isn't that like a beautiful scripture? And really, I guess, you know, I think that was the whole point that John was really, when he was talking about all these things, but at the center, at the center of it, it was the heart of Christ. It was this person. And it was all meant to show us who this person is. And we sing this morning, we'll, the more we see you, the more we'll love you. Yeah. And I think that's the truth. The more we see God, the more we love God. And God wants to reveal himself to us. And God wants to reveal his world to us. The supernatural world. He really does. That's part of the gospel of John is to open up the, the spiritual world to us but at the same time, he wants to say, but I'm showing you all this. But there's this person that has to stay the focus and center of your life. And if you allow that person that, and if everything that happens in your life, if it will lead you back to that person, you're on the right track. But when it's leading you away from him, you've gotten off. And I'm not saying anybody's off. I'm just talking to me. This is how I talk to myself. Stay on. This is how you stay on is you make Christ preeminent in your life. You make Him the focus. And then your little motto about dreams, visions, revelation, all that works really great. But it don't work so good. Let me tell you this. Worship doesn't work good when Christ is really not the focus of it. Missions, you could ask Jim, he'd probably tell you some sad stories about how missions doesn't work good when Christ quits being the center. Evangelism doesn't work good. None of these things that we do, they'll all get off, they'll all be rotten to us, they'll all taste bad to us. They'll be like that in the Old Testament when they ate the quail and it's like in their mouth they said, this is disgusting. They got what they wanted and when they got it, they didn't want it. That's how awesome things can become when we lose this person in the middle of it. And that's what I wanted to say this morning. So I want to pray for you right quick. And I want to ask you this morning if you would be willing to join me in this, this quest, okay, for Christ to reveal himself to you the way he wants to reveal himself to you. And that your relationship with him would become greater and that you would love him more and there would be a real transaction in your life, a real recommitment to Jesus Christ. That's, that's really what I feel in my heart. I felt this for so long. This is what God wants out of me. Is God is reaching out to me for a relationship. But when I began to go, it was like, this is going to be different. It's not going to be what I thought. And when I said, okay, and let it be what it is, it began to work. So if, let me just pray for you, okay? Father, thank you this morning, Lord. You know, for all of us, Lord, we're all in the same boat. We every one of us. There's nobody in here that's better than anybody else. There's nobody in here that has any special privileges over anybody else in this room, Lord. Everybody in this room is accepted. Everybody in this room is loved. You deeply care about each one of us. And you're inviting each one of us on a journey, Lord, to walk in a new place with you. To walk in a new place with you. And I ask you today, Lord, I ask you to help us. Lord, I ask you to do what you did with those men on the road to Emmaus. As you talked to them, you asked them questions, and then you broke that bread 
and their eyes were opened. And I pray that we would all have that encounter. That our suddenly the light would come on. And Lord, it wouldn't be about it wouldn't be about our ministry. It wouldn't be about our business. It wouldn't be about our home. It would be about you. We would see you. And Lord, when we see you, all those things are going to really come into great alignment in our life. I pray that for every person in this room this morning. And I bless every person. And I thank you, Lord. Thank you that Christ is Lord. And Lord, I want to declare that this is what we're going after. We're going after you, Lord. Going after your presence and going after your person, Lord. And we want to say your presence is the most important thing there is in our lives, Lord. You are, Lord. Well, thank you, Lord. Won't we stand up? Thank you, Lord. Mm, it's good. It's good, Byron. Good message. Very good. It always, um, anytime you talk about Christ being the center, it's, in my life, it centers me. Somehow I feel centered and stable in that. Isn't that good? And that's because we were created to be that way. For Christ is the center inside of us, so it just centers us and makes us steady. So thank you, Lord. If we can get the ministry team up, that would be great. We want to pray for you this morning. We are believing for great and mighty things. We feel like it's a season where the Lord is really answering some prayer. We really are just seeing it all over the place. So I just encourage you to get someone here to pray for you, to agree with things that you've been really asking the Lord, seeking him about, because we are seeing answers, and we're, we just it's the season. So. so thank you, Lord. We just bless you today. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are our all in all. Lord, thank you for coming into our lives. Thank you that you've paid the price that we can live from the heavenly realm. Lord, we thank you for the people of God in this room, and we just bless them today. We just send them out in great joy, Lord. Just send them out in fullness today with blessing. Lord, with your presence residing on them, Lord, you going before them, your eye upon them, upon us, oh God. We just send out your people with great blessing and promises fulfilled. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen.